there's a baseline of quality that the customer expects. They're hiring you as the expert and they're just expecting, assuming quality. And then your value add, your kind of differentiator is on top of that. And so why quality control is important is because all it takes is, you know, one bad job or one missed thing to kind of dent and, and tarnish your reputation and possibly lose future work. And even if it doesn't, it costs you as a business owner. If you're having to spend labor for fixing that mistake, obviously that's a cost to you as the owner that you're not able to recognize. Less stress, more time, more money. Welcome to the Cash Flow Contractor interview. Martin, uh, we're talking about quality control today. I got to say, we did a podcast a couple weeks ago now. I can't remember, but whew, we got to work on our quality control because <laughs> there were some audio issues there that took us quite a while to fix. I think we're going to have to re-record. But Let me no. tell you how a really good manager will handle that, right? Say, Khalil, take care of those issues, buddy. <laughs> Exactly. I don't even need to know what you did. Just take care of it. Yeah, man. Jacob, yep. what do you what, do? You have quality issues. I know you run your own podcast. Any you ever run into quality issues with the guests? Oh yeah, um, and a lot of it is I've I've is self induced. You know, uh, I have a little <laughs> checklist that it, I've I've failed to run through or forget to do. You know, like hey, let me turn off my speaker so I don't get that feedback. Yeah. Um, making sure that I have the right microphone chosen. I've recorded whole episodes using my webcam mic instead of the expensive oh, yeah. mic that I've set up, you know? And so there's definitely uh, simple stuff like that, that that bites you. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's there's always something that you just can't even, you can't even get. Like someone, the one that I'm talking about, the person's webcam, <clears throat> I guess the, it must be the cord for their webcam that plugs into the computer was kind of faulty. And so if he shook the table, it would disconnect <laughs> or like Martin gets a phone call as you're having the episode and you have to like bleep that out. We won't bleep yeah. that one out. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so the, it would, it would disconnect and, and reconnect. And when it would do that, the mic would change to the webcam mic, like you said. And it's like, I can't <clears throat> QC that from a, you know, I don't, I don't really know how to control that, but it is what it is. Um, it's kind of the topic of our conversation today too, though, because uh, I'm sure that for contractors, manufacturers, there's QC can just give you a nightmare of a headache. Hey, Khalil, who are we talking to today? Let's give a, a, a another introduction, Jacob, for yourself, uh, for our listeners who haven't listened to your previous episode, and then let's define quality control for both manufacturing contractor. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm my name is Jacob Edmond, and um, I uh, I'm CEO of a company called Duckworks. Duckworks Millwork Solutions, and uh, you'll have to forgive my my nasally sound. I'm you know congested from a cold from traveling, but um, and uh, we we help uh, millwork and woodworking companies eliminate their drafting and design bottlenecks. That's what my company does. And my background is you know a decade plus in millwork manufacturing, heavily focused on um, the engineering and design side of things. And uh, for your audience, uh, most of you know, the millwork industry is uh, subcontractors of general contractors on the commercial side. And on the residential side, sometimes working more directly with general contractors' clients um, to provide cabinetry, casework, millwork, 
woodworking, all of the above for interior fitouts. Um, and then you think you asked to define what is quality control. You know, it, it it's a can go a lot of ways, but ultimately it's ensuring that you know the the service or product or the value that your client is paying for is there upon delivery in any ways that you can do that. And really it branches from that into internally ensuring that you're recognizing the value as close to the cost that you're anticipating as possible. So not only just, you know, first is your client getting what they paid for, getting the quality of the product, the quality of the service on time, but also are you expending excessive amounts of costs to get that internally that should otherwise be um, reduced? Yeah. That's how I would define it. <laughs> uh, here's a question. How many, how many uh, manufacturers or contractors, I would say poor on the manufacturing side, have a dedicated QC employee? Like at what size do you jump into that? Um, that's tough to say. I would say, you know, at a, there's a certain size that you should, and there's a wider variety of when people actually do it. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, but I think it's, it's imperative at any size that you have that as a designated task or assigned function. And, and then from there, you, you know, it, it's a kind of a, a calculation of, okay, how much time is this taking to, to where it justifies a single person? That's their whole role. Right. Um, you know, and kind of related to this, like I have a, I did a podcast not too long ago with a guy who his whole function was safety. Mm. Um, and that came as a result of they had a very bad accident and they realized, hey, nobody's focusing on safety. But similarly with quality control, that's usually how it happens is we have a huge mistake that costs the business a ton of money. And that's usually when businesses will start to say, okay, maybe this is something we need to focus on. Um, and if you wait for that, then obviously it's going to cost you a lot. But if you make it an intention, uh, an intentional focus early on, you can avoid that altogether. And so I think, you know, manufacturing, like what you're alluding to is um, usually what it happens is like, hey, somebody checks everything before it goes on the truck to get delivered, right? Um, but that might not be a dedicated person. But really right. quality is throughout our, the entire organization. So you have somebody who checks your financial statements, who checks the check run, mm -hmm. who checks your, um, you know, in, in manufacturing, the engineering before it gets released to production. So there's actually stages and in, in different parts of the business that have different people doing quality if you're doing it correctly. Yeah. I find, you know, I, I talked to somebody, I can't even remember who this was. I was talking to somebody a while back about uh, quality control and they said that they saw a huge weight off of their shoulders when they actually hired someone to do it full time because they were responsible for, for it before that. And what would mm -hmm. end up happening is they would, they would start to check things and they would just get irate at anything that was wrong and then they would do it themselves and it, mm -hmm. and it when they hired the person someone else to do it that was then willing to go and talk to the person and walk them through what they need to do right rather than the the owner just being like okay this isn't right i'm going to do it they actually were able to eliminate like i think it was over 20 hours a week from their work schedule because they would just get themselves in the weeds of getting it right um and they would constantly make changes and changes and changes so I, I think it's a it can be a valuable role for that owner to really fire themselves from that because uh, it can elevate them to other things and you know remove them from the process a little bit to get someone to do it at an objective level rather than you know going off into the weeds. You know it may seem obvious to some but and not to others but 
uh, I'll, I'll just ask it stupidly. Why does quality control? Why does quality matter? I mean, there's reputation, there's yeah. financial. How how is it that it affects the financial side? Yeah, and it's funny. I, I was actually doing an interview yesterday with one of my guests. He owns a millwork company, and we're a craftsman based trade for the most part, right? Yeah. So um, quality is a point of pride for for most woodworkers. Um, and so as a business owner, he was talking about how a lot of times we focus on that as woodworkers and in, in the millwork trade of like, oh, well, we have the best quality. But in reality, as far as your, your value that you add to your customers in any business, um, and particularly in this trade is that's kind of a, there's a baseline of quality that the customer expects. They're hiring you as the expert and they're just expecting, assuming quality. And then your value add, your kind of differentiators on top of that. And so why quality control is important is because all it takes is, you know, one bad job or one missed thing to kind of dent and, and tarnish your reputation and possibly lose future work. And even if it doesn't, it's, it costs you as a business owner. If you're having to spend labor for fixing that mistake, or if you're having to buy and pay for materials to fix that mistake, obviously that's a, that's a cost to you as the owner that you're not able to recognize uh, in value to your client and in, in income. Um, and so there, there's future lost potential as well as today you're costing yourself money. I mean, that, that's really the black and white of it. Yeah. Um, and you know, so quality, as long as you're able to maintain that quality of what your clients are expecting kind of as that baseline, then you're able to focus on what is your value add above that, that differentiates you from everybody else who's offering the same quality. Right. Martin, I think it's important that, uh, we probably distinguish between customer concessions and quality control. I know they kind of overlap in some ways, but we've talked a lot on our show about customer concessions and, you know, really having really great expectations in place so that you don't have to concede to customers in instances where you didn't lay out the expectations properly. But what's the difference for you between quality control and customer expectation, uh, customer concessions? I'm glad that you asked that. I won't answer that directly, but maybe we can tie them together. My father <clears throat> ran a manufacturing company in, back in the 70s uh, that made a hardware business review as the most efficient trailer manufacturer in the United States. Wow. And he had a lot of philosophies. Uh, it was asphalt paving machines. It wasn't 16-foot utility trailers. But my dad used to always tell me, he said, you can add cost. Only the customer can add value. In other words, you're out there looking at something and thinking, wouldn't it be cool if I had this all within 10 thousandths, you know, the door fits. Well, if the customer doesn't care about it, you just added a bunch of costs without adding any value. And two of the greatest examples of that that I can think of are the controllers for TVs nowadays, right? And the controls on a microwave. Toshiba and Samsung and everybody else have added all these features on my control at my house. And I don't know how to use it. Well, I can turn it on and I can, I can move it over to the right app, you know, that I want to stream on and that volume and that's it, right? All the rest of that stuff, it, it added no value to me. Matter of fact, it detracted. And my microwave that we've had for years, a beautiful microwave, high dollar thing, all I know how to do is put the food in there and hit start. And if I hit it twice, it's 60 seconds. And another time, it's 90 seconds. So all that stuff they put in there 
added cost to the manufacturer, but did not add any value to me because <clears throat> I didn't perceive it. So I don't know if that exactly answers what you were asking. Not necessarily. Clearly. I think that's a fantastic point, though, because uh, you can spend all day playing house and dressing up all of your deliverables for the customer and putting all these special features to your product um, or service. And then at Nobody the end of the day, cares. it doesn't really matter to the customer. Right. So right. Um, I've definitely lived through that. So I understand that. That's, that's uh, a little bit off the subject of like checklists and how the cost, but I think it, it is an important point. It's what, matter of fact, it's like everything else we talk about, Khalil, on all our podcasts, you know, pain and pleasure, uh, understanding what the customer wants to get away from, what their difficulties mm -hmm. are, and what their vision is. You know, that's, that's true of everybody, that, you know, your customer, your employees, your family, but a better understanding of what they value and then deliver that without giving them a whole lot of other stuff that costs you hours of craftsmanship, Jacob, that's not necessary. Like finishing the back of cabinets that are going to go against the wall. I mean, I think most people <clears throat> don't do that. But, you know, that's the kind of thing like, oh, well, we need to finish the bottom of the drawers because we're craftsmen. Well, added about 30 hours to the process and mm -hmm. added 0.0 to the revenue or the margin or the perceived quality by the customer. Yeah. Well, so, and kind of what I was asking with customer concessions, quality control, and I guess it kind of does fall into the same thing, but I'm thinking of, you know, whenever we talked, we've talked about like uh, the pool builder that ends up not putting in their contract that the sprinkler is going to get oh, messed up yeah. and they're not responsible. You know what I mean? And I guess that is quality control on the sales process maybe and on your contracts side of things, but in terms of like, that's something that you need to be a little bit more firm about and not just concede to. Right. Whereas, um, you know, on a quality control thing, it's more so how are your processes internally? How are you managing the projects and following through with double checking thing, double checking your work, making sure that nothing's right. And I'm sure we're going to get much better definitions of quality control than that as we go along. So let's talk about, um, you know, in general, where do you see the most issues with quality in a manufacturing process? So usually where quality control comes up is when you have inconsistency in output. And so in manufacturing, you know, it's, hey, we're either making the same thing multiple times or similar products. So, you know, I'll just talk specifically about millwork manufacturing. If a manufacturer is making a large job where they're fitting out a whole school. And so a very common thing would be you're making all of the casework for all the classrooms. And so <clears throat> the idea is that, hey, you might have all of the kindergarten classrooms that are identical, same finish, same layout, left or right. And so when you're manufacturing that, you would expect that, hey, we have a process, we have a way that we're able to build 20 classrooms and they're going to come out the same. So the quality control would be, okay, we're expecting and you brought the example of a client that, you know, made a whole house one inch too tall of cabinets, I think, right? Her, yeah. That's very common, right? Because there are some certain, because something that, why that comes up a lot of times is if the job originally calls for three centimeter stone countertops, you have to get to 36 inch countertop height to the top of that. So the cabinets are a, a variable related to the thickness of your countertop. And after the last section, you mentioned change orders. A change order comes through and they say, you know what? We're going to 
two centimeter stone and we're going to do a miter fold and we're going to end up with an inch and a half countertop. Um, that simple change totally changes all the cabinets on the job to get to that height, right? And so that's something that very is very common in millwork manufacturing is a change like that can happen and nobody catches it because there's no system in quality control to say, hey, let's verify all these things that can affect this other thing. Um, and then within that, you know, you're saying, okay, you could have a quality control in manufacturing that says, make sure that all the cabinets are the same height and match the drawings, but that could still miss the change upstream of, hey, the countertop selection changed, and now all my cabinets should actually be a different height than what I'm even quality controlling to. So mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> kind of going back to the beginning of, you know, why does quality control matter? A lot of times it comes up in getting a, a uniform expected output. And usually when people start be, hey, we need a process for this is, wow, we shipped this job and two classrooms don't even match each other. One's one color, one's another color. How did that happen? And nobody was checking that. And so you start to work your way from what we would say the loading dock back through your process of how to, where did this get introduced and how do we fix that? And so you, and what I work with clients a lot on is you, what is the process you have today? Start just by documenting that process. And what do you do every time? And make that a checklist. And at, if you have if you followed that process and you still have mistakes, then you have a gap in your process. But if you have a mistake and you go to your checklist and you've skipped something, that's the first place to see. And so that's really where it starts is how do we develop a process and consistently confirm that we followed that to verify that we get a uniform output. And all of it really boils down to, yes, you're trying to ensure quality for your client, but that they just expect that. So really you're trying to ensure that you're not expending costs and resources that you don't need to as a business owner to get what your client is paying you for because they're just going to pay what they agreed to pay. And so, you know, goes back to that non-value added work. Um, if we're expending energy and you don't know that unless you're checking and having some sort of quality control process. So really what I would you know, say quality control is what we're talking today is mostly focused on inwardly the ensuring that baseline quality that your client expects without more work than you have to spend internally. Yeah. So where do you see, you know, if you're talking scales of companies and size of companies where QC becomes a bigger and bigger issue, is it kind of like a, you know, more money, more problems type thing where the larger you get, the more QC issues you have, or no, it's, really across the board there's kind of a i would say there's probably a bell curve you yeah because if you're a single you know person operation it's up to you and it's very easy as a single person operation to memorize your processes and you don't even write anything down right and it's just hey i i'm the only one that does this and i get into a system and i follow it and usually things start to go up when you introduce other people into your process and it's suddenly like, oh, whoa, they're not following it, doing it the same way I am. And I have to teach them and there's gaps in communication or gaps between how two people do the same function or how people hand things off to each other. And so as you you start to enter that, like, okay, now we're adding four and five and six and seven people and you create that assembly line, mistakes will go up and usually you get to a point where, hey, this is costing us too much. We need to focus on this. And as 
you know, operations get larger, they get more refined and more specialized, and then it goes back down. Yeah. Um, so that's what I find is you kind of have this middle ground of businesses that are scaling and they're scaling either very fast or they've scaled and not introduced processes or quality control or, you know, job descriptions or things like this where it says, hey, this is your responsibility to make sure this happens. And you have an owner who is the only person that knows the quality expectation or is thinking about that. Um, and until they start delegating and saying, hey, somebody needs to make this their focus, think that those mistakes usually go up. Yeah. Martin, I want to talk about the cost of QC on the, I guess, opportunity cost there. But right. um, you talk about, you know, how to increase profit. Um, and I'm not, I'm going to mess up these percentages. I'll just let you talk about it. But just reducing costs, how quickly you can re like increase your profit percentage-wise just by eliminating right. a small cost from a QC issue. Well, just an example I use all the time, it comes out of a table, and I happen to have this one memorized. But if you have a 35% gross profit margin, the difference between sales and labor and material, and you make a 7% net profit, which is what most companies are in that range, a 1% increase in your margin, in other words, going from 35% to 36%, will increase your net profit 15%. So if you remove an hour, I mean, it, you, you never get big things. I mean, the big things are obvious and you walk out there and go, well, that's backwards. I, that sometimes it does, but it's always little things. And I'm glad you asked that question, Khalil, because a lot of people overlook the little things because they think, well, it's just a little thing. It's just 1%. No. 1% is 15% of 7%. 7% is your share. You just increased it 15%. So, uh, yeah. I mean, there are, there are more and more examples. Uh, if you're not reworking a kitchen or you're not redoing the concrete because you poured it in the wrong place, there's the cost of doing that. In other words, the out-of-pocket, buy more concrete, buy more boards. But there's also the work that you didn't get to do because you did this one twice. And so it really, it's a huge compound effect. And once you realize that and start paying attention to the little things, which is what we're here to talk about today, things just explode in a good way, in a good yeah. way. And uh, that's, that's the name of the game. And it's, and it's huge. It's huge. I think another opportunity cost that people don't think about, and Jacob alluded to this a minute ago, but whenever you do have a quality control issue and the customer is aware of it, and let's say it's really terrible. I mean, that that has an impact on your sales, especially if they go and they leave you a poor Google review, especially if they go and they take pictures of it and post it to Facebook and talk about how to never use this company again and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you're, you're really talking about a damage to your brand and reputation, which will absolutely impact future sales. And then you've got to go and do not quality control, but damage control <laughs> at that point, right? So just something to also consider, you know, as we're talking about quality control and you're like, well, that's not that important right now. There are impacts to, you know, the opportunity costs, uh, not just the actual costs of uh, goods sold or just of operations. So, you know, so, I'd like to, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, I'd, I'd like, I think we can easily make the point that how expensive mistakes are um, yeah. at whatever level and how valuable it is to resolve them. But I'd like 
to talk to Jacob a little bit. It sounds like, or at least maybe this is just in my head, but it sounds like checklists are a, are a huge part of this. You know, so it's not memory. You know, they're, they kind of uh, summarize your systems and processes. How does somebody, what is a good-looking checklist? I will say a checklist is not detailed instructions of how to build this job, right? That, that would be different for every job, uh, contractor or manufacturer. And that but would be more what, of an SOP. Right. But even at that level, it's, you know, what Toyota does is they want everything visible, you know. So you can look over there and see that thing. There's a gap in the line or whatever. That's kind of a visual checklist. But what does a good-looking checklist look like? And how do our listeners get started today to start? You already touched on it. You just think through your process. But to literally write good checklists. Once you've got a checklist, you can improve it. When you don't have a checklist, it's just something you're thinking about. Yeah. No, and I think Khalil brought up a good point because check your checklist and your QC process is separate from your SOP and it needs to, but it, it should verify that your, if your SOP was followed, that the product is good. Right. And so, um, <clears throat> you know, what am I, and, and I'll just talk specifically about how I advise my clients. You know, a lot of times I'm working specifically in manufacturing with the design and engineering team, you know, and their job in millwork manufacturing is to basically pre-engineer the plan for how manufacturing is going to execute. And, and they literally will program the machines to cut parts and have drawings and detailed information. And so from that, um, <clears throat> it's how do we make sure that that output makes, once it hits production, goes smoothly through their process. And so the first thing I usually find is that there's, there's this expectation that like, well, if I have a good engineer and I have a good person, they should just be able to do their work and nobody should have to check their work and it just is right. There's this assumption that like, hey, if we have people that are trained well and we have SOPs and they're doing their job right, their output is just always going to be right. And in the trades, and really in anything, but definitely in the trades, like everything we do, every job is unique. Everything we do is unique. And so it's not like we're even though we're not making airplanes and we're not making a high mass manufactured thing, there's still common um, uh, things that we can define to check. And so the getting back to your specific question, it's what are the mistakes that are commonly happening and literally check for those things. So um, I alluded to this earlier, like verifying what is the countertop thickness. And I'll just talk about cabinetry for a second it's the work is done but before it goes to the client or the engineering is done before it goes to the internal client which is manufacturing having a checklist and i start this as a physical piece of paper or you can do a pdf if you've gone digital but having a physical document that i'm file save as this is my checklist for this job or this work order this thing that i'm reviewing I'm going to put my name on it. I'm going to put my date. I'm going to put specific information about what I'm checking. And I'm going to go through and literally check off. I verified that the countertops, I know their thickness. I've got the approval from the client. I've got the finish um, sample and that's verified. This product that I'm looking at matches that. 
Um, and how this is implemented can be automated in a lot of ways, but I suggest starting simple. And then from that, you will refine that process. So another example is like in manufacturing, you'll have product labels that get printed on the floor and it might have a summary of information that says this cabinet should look like this, a little picture from the engineering drawing. And it can have some information that's like, hey, this should have a finished end on it. So the side of it should be this material. The height should be this, the width. That is a checklist. That's a form of a checklist that somebody though should be looking at and saying, this is what I was supposed to make. And I'm looking at the product in front of me and I'm verifying that it's all correct. Um, and so this is the part that I think people get lost on is because they think, oh, well, the process should automate the output and then I don't have to check things. But if you don't check things, you're just opening yourself up for those mistakes to get through. Mistakes happen. Gaps in process happen. People skip steps. And so that's what the checklist is for. And you're literally saying, hey, I'm going to take 30 seconds, five minutes, whatever it is, to save myself the cost and labor and time of having to fix that mistake. Um, so start with a piece of paper, save it in Word, and you'll refine that over time, but start simple. And, and I think people also get lost on like, okay, I don't want to implement QC until I have QC for everything. Start with what your pain point is today. Like I'm thinking about this, I'm listening to this episode and I'm thinking, man, I wish I could have avoided this mistake on that last job. Make a checklist that would have prevented that mistake and build from there. Does this have to be such like a complicated process or is this, I mean, it's kind of, it sounds like it's one of those things that you should almost constantly be aware of and adding to and have as a living, breathing process inside of your business as an owner. And, you know, how, you know, if, if you, once you have a rhythm of this, how long should it take you to create a checklist in general? I mean, it should, it can take five minutes. It could take a 15 minute meeting with your team, you know, and that's really what it is, is when you start talking to like as an owner, um, what are the things that you're aware of? Start there. But if you just go start asking your team, start literally from the shipping dock or start, if you're a contractor, start from your site superintendent and work upstream and say, hey, what are the things that constantly cause you issues? And ask them about, you know, starting downstream because most people are very hyper aware of like, well, I keep getting these reports from, from purchasing or I keep getting shipments and they're wrong. They're going to tell you the mistakes of the people upstream from them because it causes them pain. But a lot of people overlook their own mistakes. So it's, it's, you're going to find the best thing by going downstream. Um, your customers will tell you, Hey, I didn't like this mistake, but then you have internal customers in your organization. So I, you got to go through your organization to find, Hey, what pain points, what things are you constantly fixing for somebody upstream from you? And the other thing to think about with this is because a lot of people get hung up on this. And if you go to individual employees, they're going to be like, well, this person constantly gives me their mistakes. They need to fix that. Um, coach your people as well as like, look, your job, part of your job description is to catch mistakes from everybody upstream. So don't be frustrated when you're finding mistakes. Be proud. And I'm grateful that you're finding these mistakes and fixing them. And But you have to constantly be you know, part of quality control is documenting those things and then reviewing, hey, we've had a lot of these mistakes. How do we refine our process to fix that? So quality control isn't just preventing mistakes. It's 
refining your process to prevent future mistakes and constantly reduce your mistakes. Um, you know, because we talked before starting about what are some metrics and things you can do to track. So we, uh, before my current company, you know, I was uh, at a company where we were a $200 million a year manufacturer. We had five facilities across the U.S. And one of our big initiatives was tracking rework. And so it was a big initiative just to implement systems to track the costs of rework. And rework was labor that we spent that was non-value add, basically fixing mistakes or costs of materials bought or things of redoing work that if we had done it right the first time, we wouldn't have spent that money. And just tracking that gave us data to say what you were alluding to earlier, um, Martin, was how much money are we spending on quality? Um, and that is a direct cost that if we fix it, goes straight to the bottom line. So that's one way to think of it. You're saving yourself money. Um, there's a lot of opportunity costs tied to that, but just black and white, we're spending money up here that if we didn't, would be profit down here. Um, but tracking that allowed us to see things like, okay, one, how much are we spending on an annual basis? How big of a problem is this to it, to justify how much we spend? You know, because you asked me how do companies define when is it worth having a dedicated person? Well, on two hundred million dollars a year, if we're spending half of, you know, hundred thousand dollars, five hundred thousand dollars, whatever it is on rework, we know that we can spend a hundred thousand dollars on a full time quality control person, and it's going to be worthwhile to spend that. Um, and it also you're going to have data like, hey, is it in this area of the business where we're spending? Are we spending more on labor or are we spending more on materials? Well, we, you know, we're able to quantify and say, hey, this much of our rework is materials. Well, why are we having to buy materials again? Is it because we're cutting parts wrong or is it because somebody's ordering the wrong thing? There you're able to drill into where you actually need a checklist. Where do you need to either repair a process or uh, focus those efforts? You know, to apply this to contractors a little bit, I mean, it, it's the same thing. I'm just sitting here thinking mm -hmm. through a contractor. The kinds of things when you send a crew out to the job, you know, do they have the tools? Do they have mm -hmm. the gas for the generator? Do they have the right address? Is the job site really ready? Do they have the materials? And we don't, on our checklist, have to list all the materials. But we have to go through a checklist that people think um, about. Every the crew getting ready, they all have to agree. Yeah, we got everything, or mm -hmm. no, the gas can's empty, right? So it saves you driving twenty miles to a job and find out. Yeah, I know they said it was ready, but it's not. Yep. And so yeah. you lost a whole day, plus the literal cost of paying those guys. Yeah, I spent um, about nine months as an interim general manager of one of our manufacturing facilities, and one of our biggest problems was incomplete shipments. And so that was costing us money in the field because we would have multiple mobilizations of installers. So we would have to send guys to the field to install half of a room. And then they have to come back a week later for the other half of the room. But the metric was, hey, we shipped an incomplete shipment. And so that's due to literally, we would have a checklist that was, hey, this truck is supposed to go to the field with these items. And we only checked off half of them. 
that there is a quality control checklist of like, okay, if one of our costs of quality, so that's another metric uh, you can check, create is cost of quality, COQ for short. And you can define in your business, what are your costs of quality? Um, and if you just track events that cost quality, you can define those, but it could be like incomplete shipments could be a, an event for cost of quality. And you just literally start tracking. It could be an Excel sheet. It could be in your system of record, your ERP, whatever. But hey, um, on this date, we shipped this truck incomplete. That's an event that you can then, if you track that, go back to say, okay, how many events did we have this month? What were they? Incomplete shipments. We had 10 of those this month. Okay, why is that a problem? How do we fix that? And how and so, much did that cost us? Right. Yeah. Put a number um, on it. So, but as you were saying, the checklist doesn't have to be custom to everything. Like, what are the materials for this job? It's just, did I check that I have the right materials? Did I check that the truck was full? Did I check, you know, you? it's just basic one-liners and somebody writing or checking off, I did this. I confirmed this. I verified that I put the screws on the truck. I verified that I put the drawings that the field guy is going to need on the truck. There's all those kind of things that are, uh, tribal knowledge in your business, a lot of times those are the things that you don't realize need to be done or that need to be checked until that person, the only person that does it, misses a day of work. And so that's where getting out and talking to your people and saying, well, hey, what are some recent mistakes or pain points or things that are a problem? And you'll start to get your people opening up and saying, oh, well, you know, last week Joe was out and we didn't get this to the field. Oh, is Joe the one that normally does that? Okay, so that should be on a checklist that somebody is verifying. You know, Jeff Finney, whom we all know and our listeners know too, if they've been listening at all, he has, uh, I don't know if it's once a month, once a quarter, but I think he has 40, 49 guys, something like that. He lines them up in the shop from beginning to end, you know, loader, CNC operator, you know, and they look to the guy downstream from them and say, you are my customer, which alludes to what you said earlier, what can I do to serve you better? Mm -hmm. So we were talking about putting the onus on the guy downstream to catch the guy upstream, but this is a, a positive way mm -hmm. uh, of doing the same thing and mm -hmm. identifying those. And when you find them, they're, they're just, they're like money in the bank. Yeah. He also does, uh, I, I think something that we need to talk about is just the value of talking to your employees and just getting information from them. It's essentially what you just said, Martin, and you've already alluded to a little bit, Jacob, but just making it really concrete that like there's real value in gaining insights from your employees. And if you're not asking them what's wrong, if you're not asking them, how can I, how can we get better? How can we improve? Uh, your, your checklist won't be complete and you will always have quality control issues, but the people that are there every single day that are working on the job, that are doing the tasks, are thinking about, man, I wish this was better. I you know, that's going through their mind. Just like you have that thought as a business owner, uh, your employees have the same thing and you can even promote a culture of that. And I think one thing that Jeff Finney does, Martin, you may have to help me here, but he's got a, a, a bucket or a, a, where you can submit a, a, a piece of paper. What is it called? Yeah. Do you remember Martin? Genie. Genie. Yes. Yeah. Why, why don't you tell, you probably know it better than me. Well, he just has a, I mean, I hate to even refer, a suggestion box, right? We've right. all heard of that. And people suggest that you go to hell, right? Things like <laughs> that. But his people, they win $100 uh, 
uh, for having they get to get this genie thing on their station. And he's, through attrition and hiring and so on, he's got a crew of people who believe, as he does, that, hey, this is really cool. We're getting better, better, better. And they want that genie up there. And some of them can be kind of small. I, I, don't, I can't think of any of his specific examples. I remember one was just as simple as like, hey, we need a broom in this area because oh, we're, yeah. we're having to walk all the way across the shop to get this broom. And the broom sucks. It's not a good broom. Like we need a better broom that's wide, you know, really wide that you can sweep it up in this area in just like two minutes rather than spending 10 minutes walking over there. It's a tiny broom that hasn't, you know, it's 10 years old, you know, things like that, I think are just a simple way of improving something uh, in terms of a process. I don't know that's necessarily QC, but it's actually a culture of just how, let's think about how we can do this better. Yep. Um, do you, you know, I think it would be good for our listeners, I don't, and this is kind of putting you on the spot, Jacob, but do you have like an example checklist uh, that we could put in our show notes for people to check out? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I'll talk about a really specific example is is uh, we, most of the clients I work with and, and what I did before this was manage, you know, engineering departments and we were responsible for doing all of the submittal drawings, design drawings for manufacturing as well as the engineering um, and, and I actually have a blog post about this. One of the very first things that I recommend for any of my engineering managers or my clients is to define your inputs. And so what I mean by that is to literally, you know, cause one of the biggest frustrations engineering departments a lot of times have or drafting departments and is, well, Hey, we get a job awarded and then we have this internal kickoff meeting and sales and estimating handed off. Hey, here's the job. Now go do the work. Right. And then there's always these questions that come up or missing information or, hey, there's discrepancies here and, hey, these are constantly obstacles. And so I what I did is I created a checklist that said, I'm going to come to the, that meeting with this checklist. To, before we leave that meeting, I'm going to make sure that I have all the stuff that I need. And if I don't, what am I doing? What's being done about it? Okay, I've these three things I'm missing. Now that's in the project manager's bucket of I'm waiting for them to get that from the client or whatever it might be. And so it gives some ownership and some empowerment. If you as an organization owner say, that's what I was alluding to earlier, is like your internal customers having input and defining for them what what do they need from their um, you know upstream partner in your business for them to be successful. And for me, if I'm a sales guy I, or if I'm a project manager, I just want to know from the organization, what do you need from me to have my job done well, to have my job go smoothly, right? And so I, I'm going to jump, you know, trip over myself to get you that if it means that it's going to get done on time, on budget, all this stuff. So for you to just tell me, give me the cheat sheet. What do you need? That's my checklist now. Your inputs are my checklist. And so having that collaborative approach. So what we did to answer your question is I created checklists for the review process of for each party. So we would do the submittal drawings. And then as a part of the internal review before anything went to the client, I had a checklist that required the PM to review the drawings and sign off on it. Somebody in engineering to peer review it. So third party review and somebody in manufacturing. And what that did was because we would constantly have issues where we would submit drawings and then they would come back from the client. And the PM would say, well, they marked this up. Why did you do that? Well, nobody told me to do differently. Nobody else reviewed this and said it should be this instead of that. It was just a single drafter 
informing that. And similarly, we'd get all the way to manufacturing and manufacturing would say, well, I wish you guys would have detailed it this way. We want to build it this way. So I said, let's go all the way upstream and I'm going to get you guys to sign off and say, you've looked over this job, well, many months in advance and given us input if we need it, but you've signed off. And, and so that when we get downstream, there's no, well, why didn't we, why didn't we, why didn't we? And, you know, so part of it was a CYA, but really it was getting their input early in the process so that things just go smoothly. And so the checklist was for a PM, I want you, to, I don't want you to review spelling errors. I don't want you to review CAD details. I want you to review for scope and contract issues. So are we detailing things that we shouldn't be saying that we're going to provide that we didn't get paid for? And are we missing things that we should? The engineering reviewer is going to review for quality. They're going to say, hey, did you spell everything right? Did you detail things right? Did you draw it in CAD the way to our standards? And manufacturing is going to review to say, hey, is there a detail I don't like or that we're not capable of building that way? And so you're dividing things up. And through those checklists, we're assigning responsibility to make this big task simpler and, and, and bite-sized for each person. Um, There's a... Uh a book out there called The Checklist Manifesto, hmm. which I just happen to have. Um, and it's about a doctor and all the deaths in hospitals and all this, but it is magnificent. Hmm. And one of the most powerful things you will remember is don't have a 400-point checklist, you know, yeah. five, ten points, but that it is not just you. You have the people around the truck, let's make it contractors, going to a job, and they're all leaning on the truck and say, do we have the tools? Do we have the materials? Do we know where we're going? Is there gas in the can? Are they ready for us? And some people may not care, but four people, five guys standing around answering those questions uh, has an effect. That's kind of the point of his book. Mm -hmm. uh, no, we don't. Oh, I'm standing by the gas can. There's no gas in here. Okay, well, yeah. that just saved us two hours of dead time because we're going out in the country, right? Yeah. It's, it's a great book. But that powerful idea of not, it's not just for me. It's a group. Have we considered this, 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 this? And when everybody signs off, there's a much higher probability that you will have effectively checked things than if it's just you. Yeah. And this goes all the way upstream. I know I'm, I'm giving very niche examples, but... Every business, everyone listening, you know, if you're a contractor, you're a business owner, you have accounting, you have accounts payable, you have accounts receivable. So like we've had to create a checklist for just client onboarding. So when I go talk to a new client and they say, yes, I want to do business with you guys, um, my account accountant, my bookkeeper has a ch checklist of like, okay, when Jacob sends me this new client's information and a new contract, did the contract have this information? And then there's a checklist we'll actually send the client that says, hey, we want to make sure that we set you up very well so that when we invoice you in the future and when we you know, do all this stuff that we have the right information. So things like we're going to send you our W, uh, W9 or we're going to send you um, a request that says who should we be contacting for all future invoices? What email should it be? Um, do we have the right business entity name in our system? So uh, all the way upstream, like this same concept applies throughout your business. And if you just start to think as a business owner, like what are the things that I'm constantly doing or my team's constantly doing 
um, and what mistakes are coming from that, those things could have a checklist to, to prevent uh, those issues. Uh, just in passing and back to contractors, I'm having a workshop with Eric Daffern, who was on our show uh, way back, uh, about liens, for me mechanic liens, mm -hmm. yeah. it's real important to contractors, that you gather the day you sign the contract, mm -hmm. all the information that you would need to file a lien, and you put a reminder in, let's say you have 90 days after you work, put a reminder in 75 days after you work, have we been paid? If mm -hmm. not, I'm calling this guy. You're not going to not get paid because you let it go to 91 days and you can know. So it's a great process. Yeah, so that's a good example because liens, especially if you do business in different states, each state has different laws and things like that that you have to. So we would, at, you know, at my last company, we would do business in many of the different states. So we had to have a kind of a decision tree checklist that was what state is the contract in? Uh, what state is the GC in and all those things that would define, hey, what information do we need? And as you said, the last thing you want is now you need to file a lien and you are having to go to your client to ask them for the project yeah. address. or yeah. the, Help me build the whip I'm going to beat you with. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so getting that up front is very important. Even as you were starting to allude to, like we have kind of a in checklist for uh accounts receivable aging. So I know when I get to 30 days past due, what am I going to do? I know when I get to 60 days past due, what do we do? When we get to 90 days past due, I'm going to call the client myself versus just my my accountant emailing them, things like that. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think of another thing. You know, you mentioned that number, um, Jacob, of uh, what was that KPI again? Of, was it uh, rework? Rework. That you had? Yeah. The number for rework. I think it's so helpful to have that one number. I know Martin in, in the past, this kind of attaches to QC as well, but um, for a builder, it was days days to build, right? Yeah, build days. Yeah, and yeah. just so important because it impacts the profitability of a job. But if you're focused on that number and bringing it down, you have to focus on quality control and having the checklist in place so that you don't have delays and that you get things done in the right order, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that that big number, that's not necessarily a Q number like rework, um, but even just as a company-wide number or department-level number can help with the quality control because if they're going to be successful in hitting that a certain number, then they have to be aware of the quality of things so that they don't have delays or changes, change orders, whatever it is. There's a really good example. Uh, Jacob, do you know, have you heard of um, Mike Beckham at Simple Modern? Uh, I don't think so. Oh. Yeah. So he's here in Oklahoma uh, doing incredible stuff. Simple Modern's a company that creates uh or manufactures water bottles uh you know the double vacuum sealed things like yeti and um hydro flask and all those brands stanley they do that um and they're here in oklahoma and he brought all of his manufacturing into the u.s after i think it was china where they were manufacturing and now they do it all here in oklahoma but um he gave a great example that i wanted to share and he talked about uh spacex and the key number that they have is cost per ton lifted into orbit. And they know that if they drive that number down, then SpaceX will continue to dominate the industry. And so that's what the, the, the metric that every single person knows. And if they're going to keep that cost lower and lower, that they have to do quality control. They have to be focused on getting things done right. Uh, and everyone knows it. And the next thing he said was that there's a um, five by five rule for this like scoreboard number that 
you, every person needs to be able to know that number within five seconds from five feet away that they just, they know it. And I think, I mean, that's, that's a tall order, I think, but if that were true, if everyone had that, you know, North star in terms of how we're doing, I think that it's a, it's a really great way for keeping everybody aligned on reaching success and keeping quality under control. It, get, it reminds me of uh, Sergio uh, Garcia, who we've talked about on the show a lot, but he does countertops, uh, quartz, marble, uh, granite, all that stuff. And uh, he has a, they have a number each that of, uh, I think it's linear square feet or something like that, that they're trying to hit every single week. And they measure that. And I don't know if it's still up, but for a time they had a TV or a, some sort of screen up with that number for the week. And everyone knew that they had to get that number out every single week. And they, it wouldn't, uh, the number wouldn't be counted until the job was paid for. So just because we got it done in the shop doesn't mean that it's, uh, it's done. And so because it was at the end of the process, everyone's focused on how can we, and they would all get a bonus if the number reached their goal. Um, but yeah, they're all focused on, man, how can we get that job installed, paid, manufactured, all that stuff. So I think that's a, another good way of kind of gamifying quality control. Yeah, I, I think a lot for, for contractors, a lot of the time, you know, in general, we have contracts that maybe have 10% retainage or something like that. And so for a lot of contractors, a big cost is the end of a job of like punch out and finishing. And a lot of times, a lot of your money is tied up in, hey, we did great 90% of the job, but that last 10%, finishing strong and getting the punch done. And so sometimes an initial KPI could be, you know, how long is your punch list and how long does it take you to get that done? Um, mm. Because as you mentioned, like that's what's preventing us from getting paid the, the, the rest of the job. And, and I it like might to be point just out one thing. it's 10% retainage. And I just said earlier that uh, most contractors make 7%. So mm -hmm. that means more than 100% of your profit is tied up in retainages. Yeah. And, and that, that rings true. You don't have And a to, lot of times for your team, they don't have visibility to that because they're not thinking about the 10% retainage. They're just thinking about, oh, well, I'll get to that punch list when I get to it. Um, and so, as you mentioned, you know, if you can gamify that or, you know, like have a, a scoreboard that they're able to front and center see, this is what's affecting our success. Um, you know, maybe it's a running list of all the punch list items, but it's like, how many trips does it take you to dock out that punch list? Maybe that's a me metric. Um, and I think there's very simple ways. I'm trying to remember the book, um, but, you know, there's a, this idea of leading and lagging metrics when you get into KPIs. And so the lagging metric is like the weight on the scale if I'm trying to lose weight. But the leading metric is calories intake, maybe. And okay. you, know, you try to pick your leading metric of what can I track that I'm making a strong, you know, hypothesis that if I hit this leading metric, it's going to impact my ending metric. So I know if I keep my calories under 2000, I should hit the, the scale, which is my lagging metric, my weight. Um, if I can get punch lists done in one trip, we know we're going to get paid and we're not going to lose money on this job, for example. Um, so you might set your scoreboard for your people to track what is that leading metric that I know if they do this, it's going to result in this. Yeah, there's a I have one client, uh, two of the things that we're doing right now. One of them is 
something you talked about, Jacob. We, we've had for probably three years now the 100% initiative, and that's the truck leaves once and does not come back to get something and does not bring something back that was incorrectly done. Mm-hmm. And that's a tough one. You know, that's yep. one. And then another thing we did is we put up a, I, it was their idea, I said, we need a finish line. We put up a checkered flag in a counter, like the gas station, you know, the price of gas that you punch, and it's items completed. And we kind of got confused. Well, you know, a 12-foot piece of cove molding is a, isn't the same as a cabinet. I said, I don't care. Don't, let's not complicate this. Yeah. How many things wrapped up went past that flag? And we track that every week, and it's been steadily going up. It shows us that the things that we did, they did, did they work? Mm-hmm. And you need that feedback. Did, did that help or not? Yeah, yeah, we need that feedback. Well, I think this has been uh, a fantastic episode and really a great refresher for anybody who even knows about quality control and is focused on that, but also a great introduction for anyone who has really not spent a lot of time focusing on the quality control inside their company. Um, I will, if you, if, if Jacob, if you have a checklist that's like mm-hmm. in a simple Google doc or something like that, I'd love to yeah. put that on our show notes for listeners just to even see that example. Uh, if yeah. not, no worries, Martin, maybe you and I can find one, uh, but oh, we'll yeah. get the thing inside the show notes that well, people one, can reference. One thing though, that people can really take away from this rather than, oh, that was a good discussion is something that you said, Jacob. Just think about the things that annoy you and write them down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Write them down and then begin a process of meeting with people. Say, what checklist item would capture this? And then it's how to improve it. But you get started. Yep. And if you're really serious about it, laminate it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I will, I will send you a couple examples that we have um, that you can include in the show notes links to. Oh, that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. I know our listeners would appreciate that. Well, um, second time around the show, I think it was a success. Thanks for being on again. Um, We will put all of your information in the show notes for people to connect with you. Anything else that we want to cover, gentlemen, that we need to say before we jump off? No, I appreciate you guys having me on and enjoy these discussions as always. I I hope that uh, there's some value here for for your listeners. And and if if anybody has any questions at all, you know, or, or comments you know obviously you can comment on the show but you can reach out to me directly and i'd be happy to schedule a call to discuss as well and one one other thing i'd like to add is that it is worth it so write down the things that annoy you and that it is worthwhile not just because it won't annoy you it will make you money make you more efficient yeah well thanks again guys for being on uh listeners definitely please go check out jacob especially if you're in the millwork industry duckworksmw.com also listen to his podcast if you if you enjoyed this you're definitely going to like his podcast we love it uh verifying field you can find it on youtube apple Podcasts, spotify everything that is podcasts so uh man thanks for being on again and we uh we hope to have you on again soon awesome thank you guys thanks jacob see you guys thanks kb see you thanks for listening to the cash flow contractor Check out our website in the show notes or visit thecashflowcontractor.com.